that. Does that doesn't seem fair to me. <laughs> I said, I don't want this stuff. I want a truck. <laughs> I want some guns. <laughs> of course, I was always weird. I just didn't get this way. Wow, he missed a good chance, didn't he? <laughs> some children were playing outside pretending to get married. The parts were quickly filled. The preacher, the bride, the groom, and so on. As they were imitating the wedding ceremony, the child who was the preacher didn't know what to say. At last, one of his friends said, quote a scripture. So he quoted, put up the scripture, first scripture there. Luke 23, 34. <laughs> Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. <laughs> <laughs> and in some cases, that's what it is, isn't it? People, when they get married, they don't know what they do. And I guess that's a good thing. You know, you're kind of goo-goo-eyed uh, before you get married and afterwards. And, and there's no reason why married people can't stay on their honeymoon for 50 years, 60 years. It doesn't matter. But uh, that's Okay. But husbands and wives isn't the only kind of love and boyfriend and girlfriends, even though that's kind of what we celebrate. And this is the third most money spent on Valentine's Day, comparatively speaking. So it's a big holiday. And guys, if you're here and you haven't got a Valentine for your Valentine, there's still time to save you. <laughs> so... George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred towards her husband. I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. Dr. Crane suggested that she go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you're convinced him of your love and can't live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and explained, beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. When she didn't return, uh, Crane called. Are you ready to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she explained. Never. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions has changed her feelings. Motions results in emotion. Now, when we act like we love someone, the feelings catch up. I know that uh, we have a tendency to think, and love is just that, you know, we think it's just an emotion. Well, emotions can change and they wear off. So love isn't an emotion, although it starts out like that. It's a commitment. And not only in the husband and uh, wife relationship, but we as bodies believers in, in the body here. When we love somebody, we're supposed to do things for them, not out of selfish ambition. And when we do that, the feelings catch up. We are supposed to love the unlovely. And sometimes I think that's me. <laughs> You didn't get that, and man, he, man, he's slow up there. Oh, I know, he's in the kitchen. He's working. That's why, it's keeping him busy. I would do that every week, huh? <laughs> so, but we can't rely on our feelings, because our feelings change. You get up one morning, you feel 
good. Next morning, you don't. That's why love is a commitment, not only to your husband or your wife, but to the body of believers and your family in general. Uh, J. Allen Peterson said, The ability, ability to love isn't established by a fervent promise as it is repeated as repeated deeds or actions. And it's amazing how that works. Second uh, Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. This sounds like the world we live in, doesn't it? People are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. You know, we know that in this nation because they're trying to throw God out of everything, aren't they? They want to get rid of, under God, out of everything. Because they are lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. And we have a whole group of people in our nation that will vote for somebody because of stuff that they promised to give them. Has nothing to do with anything else. Oh, I'm going to vote for him because he promised that I'm going to be able to go to school for free. That's how uh, one of the candidates getting the young vote because they're in college and they got all these bills that they have incur from college. And if you've been to college, you know how expensive it is. When I went to college, I think it cost like uh, $3,000 a year to go to college. And that was a lot of money. (laughs) Now, they figure it's going to cost $20,000 a year or more. I just can't believe how much it costs. So if you want to get the vote, tell the young people, hey, if you vote for me, you're going to have free education. Nothing's free, people. (laughs) Nothing may be free to you, but somebody's paying for it. And they want to take it out of my pocket and out of your pocket to help these people have a free education. But there's nothing in our Constitution that promised everybody a free education. All that's promised is the, uh, the search for happiness. It doesn't guarantee happiness. And we think that, oh, if I just get this, I'm going to be happy. Oh, if that person just loves me, I'm going to be happy. No, they won't. It won't work. Never will. And uh, our nation is falling apart because of all these things. Par- kids. Where is it? Lovers of pleasure, where is it at up there? Talks about kids. Parents, ungrateful, disobedient to parents. We live in a world where children are disobedient to their parents. And we live in a society that says if you spank your kids, you're in trouble. I was in trouble a lot when my kids were little. I believed in pride as as a seed of something to the seed of knowledge. I don't know what it is. We did that. And we got called in one time because we went motorcycle riding and our oldest son uh, had crashed on his motorcycle, so we had bumps and bruises from that. But he decided that uh, he didn't want to go to school and we told our kids, hey, you don't go to school, you're going to get your butt kicked. He didn't go to school, he got his butt kicked. (laughs) I don't want to live here anymore. So my husband was over the phone and says, hey, I got a kid that doesn't want to live here anymore. Here comes the cops, picks him up, hauls him off in handcuffs. That's what they did back then. (laughs) 
And they got to spend a couple days there. And while he was there, they seen these bruises and thought we was abusing our children. So we had to go and talk to them. And they asked about our parenting skills. And we told them how we did it. And we told them if they, we told them we're going to spank them if they didn't do something. We do it. We followed through on our word. We told our kids something. We did it. We have a group of kids raised up that uh, raising up or being raised with the idea that they don't, uh, they can't trust their parents. Their parents' words no good. They say, "Oh, I'll be at the ball game." Never show up. Or I'll do this, and they never show up. And then we wonder why we have a generation of, of people that don't keep their word. Where'd they get it from? Parents, because they they do as you say. Uh, they do as you do, not as do as you say. So we need to understand that. But, uh, and when they found out how he was raising our kids, the lady says, man, I'd like to have been a kid in your house. But don't spank them. Just call us and we'll put them in time out. Okay. No. They will get spanked again. So if they want to be on speed dial, that's fine. <laughs> so, but anyway, after three days, he was anxious to come home. And all of a sudden, home felt a lot nicer than it did before. So, but this describes the world we live in today. Now, pressures of life and troubles used to draw families together, closer together, didn't it? Now, it separates families. People that lose a child, or that has been murdered, or, or some drastic happens in their life, it draws them apart because they blame each other for all the problems. Instead of working it out and drawing closer together like they used to, that's what problems and pressures of life are supposed to do. They're supposed to draw you closer, not only as a family, but as a body of believers. But and that isn't the world we live in, because these are the last days. And if you don't know that, read your Bible. Because I'll tell you, I, I keep saying all the time, if this isn't the tribulation, it's sure missing a good chance. Because of all the, everything that's going on in the world. Now the people, when uh, pe problems arise even in the church. They don't try to work them out. They, they may argue about them, but they just leave. I'm not putting up with that. You know, pastor didn't say hi to me today, so I ain't going to that church no more. Or I don't feel like I'm loved, or, or I'm not getting fed, or I'm not this, or I'm not that. If you want a reason to leave, you'll find one. Doesn't have to even be a good one. Doesn't matter. And the devil will see to it you have a reason. Every week, you'll get a reason I'm not going back there. They talked about sin today, and I didn't like it. Well, it's in the book. If you don't like it, take it up with the author, because I'm only going to preach what he says. And I'm not going to let a government or anybody else tell me what I can preach and what I can't preach. I may end up in jail for it, but I'm not changing anything I do. I don't care what is politically correct, because God is not politically correct. Amen? Um. Now, we used to sing love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Remember that song? Yeah. This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. What do we do today? Today we say love and live together, love and live together, then we may get married. Isn't that the song they sing now? Because they figure, hey, man, I just want to make sure it's going to work before I get married. Well, I guarantee it's not going to work. Why? Because there's no commitment. When you can walk out the door anytime you want, or you, you wake up, and, and believe me, guys, 
When women wake up in the morning, they don't look the same as they did when you took them out on a date. They do not look like that. He didn't say, man, I've been giving lots of things this morning. He's just not getting it. All right, thank you. And then we have a whole world of people that get divorced because they get old. They get wrinkled. Or they get the middle age spread. And that is actually a thing. I didn't know that. I thought, oh, yeah. That's just people trying to justify why they getting got bigger when they're in their 40s. There is actually a middle age spread. I read that in a book. On TV, I don't know whether you ever watch the bones or whatever, and they talk to them, look at his scale. All they can see is bones. And they say, yeah, it's a woman, and this is their age. How do they know? Because if the middle age spread ain't there, they're younger. That's how they know, because you actually expand. I, when I was, what, I, I went through and got some of my old clothes I used to wear, and a lot of it I could wear, but some of the pants I couldn't wear. I weighed less than I did then, but I'm sitting there, man, what's going on here? Middle-aged spread. Remember that, ladies, middle-aged spread. It works. <laughs> so, but uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, which we know is the uh, 13 is the love chapter. We call it the love chapter, and he talks about what love is. But he wrote it to a group of immature Christians who lived in Corinth. Now, these pe- people that were converted to Christianity... They were converted, but they wanted to hang on to all the old stuff. Their old environment, their old habits, their old everything. They just wanted to add Jesus to it. And you can't live for God if you're just trying to add Jesus to what you already have. Jesus comes in and everything else goes out. It isn't a matter of what you can do. It's what God will let you do. It isn't a matter how much, how close can I get to the world before I fall over. That isn't Christianity. Christianity is how close can I get to God and separate myself from the world. Now, we've got to live in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. We don't have to live our lives as the world lives theirs. We don't have to be lovers of the world and not lovers of God. We can live in this world and not be of this world. Now, we're a nation. We're a nation under God. And if we're not a nation under God, we're going to be a nation of God, of the nation that's gone under. Now, I hate this, a lot of things, of course, it's just been the last few years, we have people call themselves, I'm African-American, I'm Italian-American, or I'm all this an American. You can't, you can't, either American or you're not. Now, the only one that's allowed to label themselves is Native Americans, because they were here first. But everybody else, hey, if you're not an American, you're not anything else. And when we let feed that and we have people come here that just want to hang on to everything that they had over there and they want to change our nation to what it was like there. Well, why did you leave that place if you liked it? And when we have all those labels and do that, we end up with Black Lives Matter. Well, reality is all lives matter, including the ones in the womb. And they don't really realize that there's more black babies aborted than any, than any other race. So they say it matters. Well, it doesn't. You can't protect them in the womb. But that's what happens when we're divided as a nation and as a body of believers. See, when I look out here, I don't see Native Americans or this American or whatever. I see people. I see believers. I see people who love God. 
That's what I see. I don't care what nationality you are or whatever because I don't want to get involved in that. Because God doesn't care. God loves us and we're all the same. Underneath the skin, we're the same. Doesn't matter where you're from. Environment uh, uh, that people lived in, their, their uh, pigmentation, things like that changed because they had no way to protect themselves from the sun. That's the reality of it. And I'm not going to go into all that stuff, but, but the reality is we're the same. We came from the same mom and dad. If you go far enough back, Adam and Eve. We're all from Adam and Eve, and I don't know what they look like, but I'm guessing they were, uh, looked like uh, probably Jewish people. That's what I'm guessing. I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. We're all the same. God loves us all the same. Now, Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians instructing believers on how to live in a secular world. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, we're taught that love, about love. In the first three verses, we learn the value of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. So if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to, bur- to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, the Corinthians were Greeks, and they were very proud about their great philosophers that they had. And you've probably heard of some of them, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. We've heard about those. They're all Greeks. And they were so proud of them because they had the ability to be able to talk to somebody and it would just wow them. Kind of like some of the ministers we have today. I'm like, can you, they preach and you, they just wow you. <laughs> and Paul said, even if I had that ability to be able to woo a whole congregation or a whole group of people, And if I don't love, if I don't have love in my heart, it's nothing. I'm nothing. The only way we we are nothing is if we don't love. Not if we're loved, because we all have to realize that God loves us. God loves me the same as he loves you, and the same as he loved Paul and any of the disciples. God doesn't have any favorite kids. We're all equal at the cross. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I don't... I don't have anybody love me. Yes, you do. God loves you. And everybody in this congregation loves you. The only thing, if you want to feel like nothing, don't love anybody. Because that is what will destroy you, is not loving. Now, we have a lot of people who are smart. Some have the gift of prophecies. Others have great faith. But if these people do not have love, they are nothing. Worthless, meaningless, and of no value. We have a lot of politicians right now that are talking great speeches, aren't they? Oh, man, they're going to tell us what they're going to do. And we just sit there and we listen to it and we listen to it. And we go, man, how do I know who to vote for? Well, pray. Who's going to be the best one for our nation? Not the one that has the best hair or the best looking or the youngest. Or just because they're a woman. I don't know what's the matter with us women. We vote on somebody because we think they're cute. That's a reason to vote for a president, right? And, oh, I'm going to vote for them because they're a woman. That's not a reason to vote for them either. What do they believe in? That's you got to find out. And if you're not willing to do that, God's going to hold you accountable. And we can't afford to have another 
bad selection leading this nation. We can't afford it. If we do, you might as well go in and flush the whole thing down the toilet because it's gone. This is a pivotal election, so you have to spend the time, invest the time, and listen to them. When I was growing up, I wasn't interested in all all this stuff to a certain degree, but I did listen to it because my parents did. We didn't have all the channel choices that we have now. So we had the three main channels, and they went off at about 11 o'clock at night. There was nothing to watch. <laughs> and so then they had the speeches, and they had all this stuff on. And so you listen to it. I remember when I was in elementary school, I think it was, or I don't remember, I think it was elementary school. We actually had a debate, and you got to, we chose people who was going to be this president. And I think this is when Nixon was running. And I was Nixon, and somebody else was Kennedy, and we had a debate on who's going to win the election. I lost. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe it wasn't Nixon. I think that was the year that Kennedy got voted in. I don't remember who he ran against. Goldwater? Whoever it was anyway, we've, I lost. And, but that we did that in school. Nowadays, we don't do anything. Except they teach you that you're a little god growing up and don't let anybody touch you. Don't let anybody do anything. You know, because we'll get them. We'll throw them in jail. If your parents discipline you, tell us. We'll throw them in jail. And they don't care what the parents think. And if we don't change that, we're really in a mess. Because if we let the, the country educate our kids... They aren't going to educate them toward God, I guarantee it. And if you've seen the, the stuff that kids are forced to look at now, you would be appalled. But if you're a parent, you have a kid in school, you need to go in and verify what they're teaching your kids. It isn't so bad here. That's the only thing I like about our community we live in is because we have a little more, more morality in our leadership than we do in other nations, other areas of the country. But you go back east, these liberal states and stuff, I'm not kidding you, it's amazing what, what they teach our kids. And we can't afford that. We can't afford another generation of them indoctrinating our kids. Because we're almost on the verge of destruction. And we need to realize that. A.A. Uh, a. Brill, a well-known psychiatrist, said, love is necessary to, to survival. It is as essential for a person to have love as to have pure air and food to sustain them. People were drawn to Jesus because why? He loved them. And they felt like he loved them. And so they were just drawn to him. If you don't have, feel like you don't have a lot of friends or things like that, start loving people. Because they will be drawn to that. And as believers, we're supposed to let God love through us. There's a lot of people we can't love by ourselves. But there's not anyone that God can't love through us if we just let them. And when we love other people, they're going to be drawn to us. Because people, when they sense love, it's just like a sponge. They just suck it up. Because parents don't really uh, tell their kids they love them so much anymore. They're too busy. They don't do anything with their kids. They let the, the TV educate their kids in the school, and they don't want to be bothered. But how do you spell love to your kids? T-I-M-E. That's how you spell it, love to your children. And we're going to all mess up as parents. We're not going to be perfect. Your kids are probably going to tell you they hate you. I know mine did. Didn't matter. I said, that's all right. I love you. And they do it trying to push your buttons. And they know where your buttons are, don't they? I'll tell you. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, God made babies cute because we know when they got teenagers, we'd kill them. 
We have to be so attached to them at that point. It takes that long to get really attached to them. So when they mess up as bad as they do as teenagers, unless your teenagers are worse. I had four teenagers at the same time. You want to know what's the matter with me? That's what it is. <laughs> because it's a scary world with teenagers, isn't it, parents? So, but um, <clears throat> let's see where am I at. Uh, the next four verses teaches us the test of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The first test of love is its patience. It's hard to be patient, isn't it? We hate that. A young man said to his father at breakfast one morning, Dad, I'm going to get married. How do you know you're ready to get married? asked the father. Are you in love? He says, I sure am, said his son. How do you know you're in love? asked the father. Last night as I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight, her dog bit me, and I didn't feel the pain until I got home. <laughs> now that isn't a very good test to find out if you're in love or not, because we are so uh, bound into attraction and that that it, we, we can't think about it. And that's why when people build relationships on attraction, and not other things, or substance that's not going to last. Now, many um, couples marry because of physical attraction, attractive appearance, or pleasant personalities. Now, in case you're wondering, I was Randy's arm candy. You're going to get that in a minute. No? <laughs> trophy wife, you know? I was his trophy wife. <laughs> and all these fa factors, if that's what you're looking at, are going to lead to a Hasty marriage that doesn't last. Because if those are the reasons you get married, we get old and we get wrinkled and we get bigger. So if you don't, aren't committed to that person, it isn't going to last. After the lust wears off, you're stuck with them. Now, there was a guy that I used to work with. I know that I've told you this story probably many times, but I'm going to tell it again because I got it in my notes. A guy I used to work with, we used to talk because we had time. We did a lot of testing. I used to blow things up. We used to blow things up. And uh, we had time in between curing time, and we were talking. He said, how come I keep falling in and out of love? He said, I meet a girl, and we live together for a while, and then I don't love her anymore. And I said, well, that's easy. You're not falling in love. You're falling into lust. And when the lust roars off, you don't have anything else. And he didn't grasp that. You know, because he had a lot of women because he was a nice-looking guy, but here he is in his, you know, late 30s, early 40s, and he isn't married yet. And he's, man, this is so hard on me. No, it isn't. Make a commitment because that's what love is. It's a commitment, not only in a marriage relationship, but in a relationship in a church. It's a commitment. I'm committed to being here every Sunday. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And when we have that commitment, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Well, I've got to stay home because i got things to do today, and it's the only day I have off. Well, I guarantee it, when you spend time in church, you'll have more time to do those things than if not. But we've got to get that because it's a commitment. And when we love God and we, we commit our life to Him, we're committed to doing what we can to learn more about God and how to serve Him. 
God didn't call us just to show up in church all the time. <clears throat> he called us to love people, invite them to church, to study, to learn about God more so we can be closer to him. <clears throat> uh, we live in a world that says if it feels good, do it. Doesn't it? That, that's, that's the way that we live. And, uh, but that re- isn't a recipe to build a marriage on because it'll fall apart really fast. The patience of love helps a person before marriage, but after marriage. And uh, patience helps everyone in here to put up with each other, because that's what it is. We call it patience. It's called putting up with each other. And sometimes it's hard, but we got to do it. And we let God love through us. We can. It's the only way we can do it. Because I'll tell you, you sit there sometimes and think, oh, and, you know, and I've said this, oh, God, just let me smack them just once. Because they're acting stupid. I don't mean here, I'm in the world. <laughs> and you think, oh, man, are they actually that dumb? They're not dumb, they just think those things because they're indoctrinated. And they go, oh, just let me have five minutes and I'll take care of this problem for you. But we don't. We've got to let God love through us, so we've got to be patient, and we've got to be kind, we've got to do all these things, and we can't do them without God. <clears throat> now, I love my husband. You can get that, Randy, you can get that uh, video ready or whatever it is. Now, I love Randy very much. Now, physical attractions may draw us together, but it was a keep commitment that keeps us together. Now, I got him a, a, a bracelet one year for, I don't know, this for our Anna, Christmas, I guess it was. And I said, you're, you're the love of my day and the lust of my night. And when I was at the jewelry store and had the guy engraving this, he looked at me and he says, man, I'd like to be married to you. <laughs> But see, it's a choice. See, I love my husband just as much today as I did, man, I don't know how many, 38 years ago. That's a long time to be with somebody. And we are, we've grown more into one. And the only problems that we have is when we're trying to figure out which one we're going to be. <laughs> That's the relationships problems that we have. But I love him just as much as I, I did the day that I met him. And I wrote this love song for him. And I'm going to play it for you. I'd sing it, but since I had my neck operated on, I didn't have that good a voice before, but no, the other one, in your eyes. Uh, but the songs God gave me, and you can, if you uh, want to put God in this, it's, it's true. It seems true. I told somebody I wrote this for Randy as a love song, and they said, well, it can be a love song to God, too, because this is a reality, so if you would... If I, had, if I could fire him, I would. <laughs> no. <clears throat> I hope so, otherwise it'd be faster for me to read it. Technical difficulties. I told him if I had enough time, I would do this. I'm, well, boy, it's looking, it's going to... It's what? <laughs> oh, oh, Okay. Well, that's good. I raised him right then. (laughs) Louder. At least they found it. Nope. Nope, that ain't it. It's another one. You said that five minutes ago. (laughs) Took me less time to write the song. There you go. Louder. 
sees us as beautiful. And in his eyes, he sees us through Christ. He looks at us, he sees Christ as believers. So we're blessed because God doesn't see our flaws and imperfections because they're under the blood. And when we look at other people, when we look through them in God's eyes, our life is a whole lot different. I said I wrote that for Randy because I love him so much. And, uh, but the reality is God loves us even more. Now, the second test of love is kindness. A prominent psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, said in an article in the Chicago Daily News entitled, Love Working Miracles for the Mentally Ill in Kansas. Now, Dr. Menninger said love is one of the most effective cures in healing mental illness. When reporters asked how 80% of his patients recovered, he replied, The secret is not in electroshock, surgery, group therapy, or drugs. This plays a part, but the real secret is contained in a single word, love. 
People respond to love. Not harsh words, not a fake smile, but love. And our kids respond to love. They said, if a dog doesn't love you, there's something wrong with you. Because dogs can sense those things. And kids and people can too. They may not be able to put their finger on it, but they know if you're being real or you're being phony. And we need to be real with our kids. We need to be real with the purple people that we work with. We can't live two separate lives. We come to church and we put on our Christianity and say, oh, okay, all right, I'm all right. And then as soon as you leave the church, you throw it aside. When we're, as, we're believers, we're believers 24-7. We need to be covered with his righteousness. We're supposed to love as he loves through us. Not on my own will or my own power because we can't do it. But God can do it through us and we need to allow him to do that. The third test of love is, the, is that it doesn't envy. Song of Solomon. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty fire, flame. Jealousy and envy is the enemy of love. When, people, when you sit around in your house and wish that you were somebody else or you want what somebody else has, it'll destroy you. But when we love and let, let God through love through us, we're content with our lives and what we have. It doesn't matter if such and such has a $10 million house they live in and I live in a little trailer. It doesn't make any difference. Because when God comes into our heart, we're content. And we can have, we have as much as God can trust us with. When, our, when we love things so much, God can't give us things because it will destroy us. We can pray and ask God to, to provide our needs. He, he promised to meet our needs, but he didn't promise to meet them with a great big $10 million house or a brand new Cadillac every year. He promised to meet our needs. And the more that we yield to God, the more that we're content with things going on in our life. I remember years ago when Randy and I first got married, we had a, bought a new car almost every other year. Because we wanted to. But now it isn't important like it was, like we thought it was before we got to know Christ. It isn't important. It doesn't matter what we drive. And I believe that God wants to give us nice stuff. If we can uh, love him and not allow that stuff to destroy us. And he's the only one that knows that. So whatever you got in your life, trust God. And be content with what you have. Because when you do, then God can trust you with more. Doesn't matter whether he gives you ten talents or five talents or one. It doesn't matter. Because God looks on our heart and he wants us to, to commit whatever we have to the Lord. And when we do, he can trust us with more stuff. But we can't love stuff. If we do, it'll destroy us. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humanity, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. <clears throat> Real love isn't selfish. We live in a world of selfish people, don't we? We want the most free stuff we can get. And I'm not saying it's wrong to get stuff. That's all right. But don't let them be your life. Don't value your success by what car you drive or what kind of house you live in. Or how much you have left over of expendable income. It doesn't matter. 
when we trust God to work through it, He'll take care of us. It's when we live our life for them things, and when we don't have the things, we feel that we're not successful, and we don't feel loved. If we don't feel loved, it's because we're not allowing God to love us. And it's hard to let someone love you. In this world that we live in, we have a lot of people, you know, that want to be loved. Oh, if I just had a husband to love me, then I'd feel better. No, you won't. Because no one can make you happy. No one. You can pursue happiness, but no one or nothing is going to make you happy. The only thing that's going to make us happy is God's love flowing through us. He's the only one that can do that. And when we're not allowing that, we're going to be miserable. Whether we live in a $10 million house or we live in a tent, it doesn't matter. Those things are the things that's going to matter. Love, because it's the important. We need it as much as we need air to breathe and food to eat. That's how important it is, and God made us that way. He made us to, to ability to love the unlovely. There's nobody in here that's unlovely, so it's easy to love you. <laughs> But if you meet people at work, and there's a lot of people I used to work with, I didn't want to love them, I want to smack them in the mouth. Do you have any of those people at work, where you work, in your life growing up? There's a lot of them. The devil will see to it that they're there. But those are the ones you need to pray about more. When you pray about them more, they'll change or you'll change. And then all of a sudden, the environment will change. If you're not praying for your workplace and the people you work with, shame on you. If you're not praying for loved ones, shame on you. Because that's saying, I don't love them. How do you know you love someone? Are you praying for them? That's a good way. And when you start praying for people, especially the ones that we don't like, they're the hardest ones to pray for. I have a hard time praying for our leadership without praying David's prayer. God, kill them. Kill them, God, kill them. That isn't what God wants us to pray. (laughs) But David was very frustrated in his life. But we need to pray for our enemies. Pray for those that use us. But we don't have to let them use us all the time. Do something to me once, shame on you. Do it twice, shame on me. That's the reality of it. And if you loan somebody money and they don't pay you back, don't give them any more. Don't loan money to anyone that if they don't pay it back to you, it will bother you. Because if you do, it'll eat you up. And every time you see them, you want to punch them. And it's hard to love them. So just don't do it if it's going to hurt you. Amen? Amen. In verses 8 to 13, we learn that love is permanent. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, which is Christ, <laughs> what is part in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. For we see only a reflection as in a mirror that we shall see, see face to face. Now I know in part and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Everything you see today will pass away. It's going to be gone. Everything, eventually. There's nothing you see that's permanent. The only thing that's permanent is love. Love is the greatest of all. L.L. Huffman received a letter from a foreign 
friend filled with expressions that were quaint because the friend's knowledge of English grammar was poor. However, Huffman's heart was deeply touched as he read the postscript, The mistakes you will cover with a coat of love. We cover the mistakes with a coat of love. What love? God's love through us. That's the only way we can get through this world because we're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. Some of the worst pains that I've suffered in my life have come from the church. People that are supposed to love you. Seems like those are the worst, worst scars that we have. But God says keep loving. It doesn't matter. Until we've suffered as much as Christ has suffered, then we can complain. Because this life is only temporary. And God will get us through it, and he has so much more planned for us. He wants us to live a, a life better than we can imagine. We only get there by loving God and let him love through us. Love can't be destroyed by rude people. <laughs> people try to cha- chase people away because they think they don't deserve to be loved. We need to let Christ's love cover the mistakes of others. We need to allow him to do that. We say, well, you don't know what they did to me. It doesn't matter. Look what they did to Christ. Look what our sin did to Christ. So it doesn't matter what other people do to you. Just pray for them. Let God love them through you. Then things will change. I guarantee it. It, it, I mean, it's written in stone. If you act like you love someone, the feelings will catch up, and they'll be able to sense it, and all of a sudden, they're not going to be so bad. God works those situations out. If we will just remember to pray. We just expect God's going to do all this stuff, and we don't have to do anything of it. Smile and be God's little darling. Uh-uh. We have to pray. We have to let God love through us through us, and then things work. Those who practice love will never be defeated, no matter how badly life seems. That's the only thing that's going to last forever. Someone said, love is like a bridge that connects our hearts when we're apart. A rainbow that colors our world when we're together. And the bond that keeps us learning and growing together in the Lord. Get ready to play that other video or song, will you? I wrote this song, and what it is, it's 1 Corinthians 13, my understanding of it. And I think it kind of makes it work, if they ever find it there. They, they tried to play it twice already, or three times, so. It's called, Love is the Greatest of All. Maybe. There you go, that's it.
Amen. Love is the greatest of all. It covers a multitude of sin. God's love. God loving us. Got rid of our sin. And he says, I'm not asking you to love everybody. He commanded us to love, but he didn't command us to do it on our own. Because it's impossible. But we can love as we let him love through us. If you're having a problem loving other people, Lord, I just pray for everyone here this morning for that. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen.